Um, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we have been sharing about, uh, really about the idea of hungry, and really it's based off of a scripture in John chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles or your phone or however you read the Bible, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 4 because we're going to be hanging out there today. And uh, But uh, we've really been talking about this idea of what does it mean to really be hungry for the Lord and, and really, um, and, to, and even beyond that, it's like, hey, I do want more of the Lord, but how? How do I really access the presence of God? How do I experience the presence of God? Because I believe that our knowledge of God's word is important. And it's not secondary to our experience with God, but I also don't think that our experience with God is secondary to his word. I believe there's a partnership that has to happen is that I want to, I want to, I'll say it this way. I want to know God here, but I also want to know him here. I want to know him from a mental aspect of being able to understand and comprehend his word to me, his instructions to me. But there also comes a point where I have to be able to experience God's presence for me as an individual. Like my salvation and my church experience just can't be my mama's church experience or somebody else's experience with God or somebody else's story. At some point, Jesus has to become real to me. And even beyond just salvation, there even becomes a point after, you know, because I've experienced this many times in my own walk with God. Where it's like, God, I don't need another church service. I need you. And I need your presence and I need that encounter and I need that connection and I need the life that only Jesus can provide. And so we've been looking at this over the last couple of weeks and uh, really talking about, you know, because in the natural, we understand like I'm hungry, I go eat food. How many of you plan to eat today? Y'all just so spiritual, you ain't going to eat today. I'm going to eat a couple times today. I'm already looking forward to it. I woke up this morning thinking about what am I going to eat for lunch? That's usually the way things work in my world. And, uh, I mean, I plan vacation around where am I going to eat. Like, it's important to me. Food is pretty high on the pecking order. Right up there next to breathing. You know, I mean, it's pretty important. And I've got, if I'm going to eat, it might as well be good food. Right? And, and so it's pretty important. But what I have found is it doesn't matter the quality of the food. I soon get hungry again. And while it satisfies me, and food does make me happy, I am a foodie, and, uh, but, there, but it, it, it's short term, and it's not lasting. And, and it doesn't matter how much or how good the food is, is that there's a part of me that food will never touch. Even though sometimes I might want to do a little dance sometimes when I eat some food because it's good, and I'm like, oh my gosh, and I think it hits something in my soul, but it really doesn't. It's just really good food, and while I enjoy it, There is a much deeper longing on the inside of me that's actually not a natural thing. It's not a a natural desire. It's actually a, a spiritual desire. But if it's a spiritual desire, only something spiritual can actually satisfy that longing and that desire. And so this is some of what we've been talking about over these last couple of weeks. And so I've shared some thoughts with you along this line. And really we're talking about uh, our souls being satisfied. That's really kind of what we're talking about. Because you're, you are a three-part being whether you realize it or not. Is that you're not a body. You have a body, but you're more than this flesh suit that you see. So it's important that we understand this. The realest, most part of you is actually your spirit man. It's the most godlike part of you. When God created Adam, there was a body laying on the ground, but there was no life. It was just a body. 
If you've ever been to a funeral, you've seen a body. There's no life in that body. Why? Because the spirit is no longer there. The spirit realm is what actually gives life to our body. And the Bible tells us that when God created Adam, that he formed him out of the dust of the air and there he lay like a corpse until God bent down. And the Bible says that he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And it says, and then Adam became a living being. See, just like that is true. We all have a spirit right now and we all have a spiritual condition right now. And we're all in different places, but we, we are a spirit. You have a soul. What is that? It's your mind, your intellect, your emotions. All of those things are comprised in your soulish realm. You live in a body. And it's important that you understand that because if you keep feeding your body thinking it's going to take care of your soul or your spirit, it's not going to happen. And so you'll constantly be looking and searching for something in this world, even experiences, things, all of these things, not realizing that it's something much deeper than that. And so we've been talking about this and and looking at this and, you know, really looking for something that will fulfill our soul. Fill us up to to the full, if you will. And so I've I've asked you the question in the weeks past is, are we, is that I believe that we can be in danger of living lives that God is actually optional. He's an accessory to our life versus being central to our life. And there's a huge difference. When, when Jesus is just kind of the add-on, he doesn't have much influence. Why? Because he won't be second, number one. But he's just an accessory. It's somebody, hey, I want, I want you to add value to my life. But Jesus didn't come to add value. Jesus came to take over. Now, no, we don't like that in our culture because we're like, oh, well, we're Americans and we're free and we are. But... Our nation, by and large, are some of the most bound up free people on the planet. So maybe we need to look to God's word and to look to the words of Jesus to actually begin to see how and what he wants to do so that we can actually experience real freedom. I'm very thankful for the freedoms that I have in this nation. I mean, I've been multiple continents, multiple countries. I've been all over the place. There's nowhere I would rather live than here. But having said that, the freedom that I have found in Christ far surpasses that that I've ever experienced as an American citizen. And that's important that we understand these things. And so what I, what I don't want us to do, and I share this with you, with you in week two, is that I don't want us to stop short of knowing that God can pour out. Well, of course, God can do anything he wants. He's sovereign, right? But yet we see throughout scripture time and time again is that people actually had great influence on what God did. Even Jesus himself, many times we would see him heal or work in a situation and Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm the son of God and I can do this miracle. He actually said, hey, by your faith, like that these people actually had a part to play in their experience with, with God working in their life. But they could have just said, well, God can do it if he wants to. Well, let me help you. God's word is his desire. If he said he'll do it, he wants to do it. The Bible says that he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't, he doesn't shift. He doesn't say something and not mean it. If he said it, he will do it. 
So then that means that we have to learn how to access it. And so I don't want us just to stop short of knowing that God can pour out his presence, that God can pour out his blessing in our life. I want us to be in a place where God is pouring out. In other words, I don't want to live for one day. I want to live for now. I don't want to wait and say, well, one day God's going to do something amazing in my life. And one day I'm going to be spiritually passionate for the Lord. Today, God is And I have to, what, stir myself up to access who Jesus is, what he wants me to be, because I can live a life where he is very optional. And in reality, we're all in an ebb and flow of this. There are times of all of our lives where Jesus is just an addition to our life. And then there are times where that hunger begins to stir up and we press in and we want to experience his presence and his goodness. Or maybe we're, we're dealing with a challenge. And so, you know, it, it, sometimes it's amazing to me how when we get in tough situations, all of a sudden Jesus becomes really important to us. You know, God actually told the children of Israel in the Old Testament. He says, when you come into your promised land, do not forget the Lord. Let me say it this way. Don't forget God on your good days. In the good times. Why? Because the same God who got you out of your valley and the same God who got you out of your mess is the same God who wants to be there in your best days. But it's easy to forget when things are good, when things are going well. And so we've been talking about these, this, these ideas over the last couple of weeks. And I've, I've really used a, a really uh, verse 10 here out of John 4 has been kind of the key verse that I've been looking at every week. But today, I actually want to read it all in context. And I'm going to read a decent amount of scripture, uh, about 30 verses today, uh, which typically I don't read that many. But I want to give you the full story and I'm going to stop and um, kind of give you some thoughts. But um, Basically, this is towards the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And so, you know, he's gone. He's been baptized by John the Baptist in the river. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon him. He went into the desert for 40 days where he was tempted and tried of the devil. It says that he comes out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is pretty soon after that. And so Jesus is on a journey. At this point. And so um, I won't go into all of the detail. But I will give you some. But Jesus is basically on the road. Walking through an area called Samaria. Now the Jews. Which Jesus was Jew. The, you know primarily. Uh, they lived in Jerusalem, but to get to certain places, you would have to go through Samaria. That was the, that was, if you were going to draw a direct line from A to B, the Jews would have to go through Samaria to get there. But the Jewish people, because they detested the Samaritan people, said, we're not going to go the shortest route. We're going to go out of our way to avoid them because they viewed them as half-breed people. Because they weren't pure Jewish people. They were a mix. And so because of that, the Jewish people had their own biases, right? And so here it says... That eventually that Jesus is on his journey. He's walking with the disciples. Uh, and, and so it says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. It says, near the field of Jacob, uh, gave the, or the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So it's the middle of the day. It's hot. Jesus and the disciples have been walking. They've been making their journey. And it says, hey, Jesus gets a little thirsty. He sits down, the disciples go into town, they're going to fetch some lunch. 
And so soon it says that a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, so there's two things that are happening here. Number one, men didn't talk to women. And number two, a Jewish man would definitely not talk to a Samaritan. In other words, men would talk to their wives. So that was just a cultural thing. So Jesus is breaking the cultural norm here in two ways. And so this woman is shocked that Jesus would even speak to her, much less even be around her town. She's already thinking like, why are you here? You're not supposed to be here. And then why are you talking to me? And so Jesus uh, speaks to her and says, please give me a drink. It says he was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some lunch. And it says the woman was surprised for the Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. And Jesus said to her, or she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Why are you asking me for a drink? Because Jesus is there and of course the obvious answer is because he's thirsty. I mean, it says he was weary from the journey and the walk, but yet Jesus has something very different on his mind than what she's thinking. Because Jesus responds, and this has really been the, kind of the key verse that I, over the last couple of weeks that I hope that you're grabbing a hold of, and I hope you're thinking about, and I hope you're meditating on, and I hope that you're putting some thought to this question and how it applies to you. Jesus responds and says, If you only knew the gift... That God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. I've got good news for you this morning is that Jesus actually has a gift for every one of us. Like today, right now. And here's the thing, the gift that he has for you, you absolutely want. Even beyond that, it's actually something that you really need. You may not even be aware of how bad you need it until he gives it to you. And you're going to be like, oh my gosh, it's like Lindsay was just talking about. And she's like, you know, talking about our time of worship. And, you know, she's obviously two weeks away, not even two weeks away from a brand new baby boy. And she's talking about just that taking this time of worship to connect with God. And sometimes in those times of worship, you know, we can get real busy. Me and Dara right now are real busy, like real, real busy because we're trying to finish up a house that we're about to move into and that means we got to get this other house ready and we're trying to finish remodeling this house and I still got to preach and I still got to do things and then I wasn't feeling a little great last week and so I'm like, I don't have time for this. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? And what happens? The spiritual attention wanes because of the pressures of the days. And then we wonder, like, why, why do I not feel what I used to in worship? Why, why do I not feel the, the, the closeness of the presence of God? It's because we're too busy. It's because we don't take that time to just pull away. And it doesn't, I don't mean time is in days. Sometimes I mean time is in moments. Like, I got... A minute, that's enough for Jesus. He doesn't doesn't need all of our time. He just needs some of our attention, some of our focus. And Jesus here says, if you only knew the gift. See, here's what I know. If you only knew the gift that Jesus had for you, you would run to him. Because he has something good for you. 
And he has exactly what you need. And yet he tells her, if you only knew the gift, and if you knew the one speaking to me, you would ask and I would give you living water. They're at a well. He asked her for a drink. And yet he's really talking about something completely different. She's thinking naturally. He's talking spiritually. And I believe that these are some things that we uh, really need to. Let me, let me challenge you with this. Is I think that we should maybe stop asking Jesus for the things that we want. Or that, let me say it this way. We, may, we probably should stop asking Jesus for the things that we think we actually want. And we need to begin to ask him for the things that we really need. Jesus, what do you have for me? What do, what do I need that I don't even know of right now? Like, what am I lacking? See, I believe that, that, that just as it says here, is that just as what Jesus was telling this woman, he's saying to us today, is I have something for you. The question is, is do you want it? Are you willing to receive it? Are you, are you willing to surrender yourself to me? Because we, we can have the, the guys or, or the front that we've got it all figured out and we've got it all under control. And the truth is, is that we're like two moments, two instances away from chaos most of the time. Now that doesn't settle you, I know. But I have good news for you. Is that Jesus has something better for you. See, we have to learn how to be open to the Lord. We have to be willing to surrender to the Lord. And that's more than just a salvation prayer. It's more than just praying a prayer. It's actually learning to be in relationship with Jesus. Like where there's actual communion, like on the regular basis, not just at church, but that he's part of my life. That I am his servant, he's Lord, and I'm servant. I'm not in charge. He is. Paul said it this way. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. For what purpose? He has a kingdom purpose. He has a reason. And so I shared with you last week this, is that the Lord will not feel what we don't yield. In other words, I say it another way that I would say it many times is we have to create space for Jesus to fill. You can't fill a full tank. It's already full. So we have to create some room, some space for Jesus to come in and fill. That's one reason why we come to church. Why We're carving out some time during our week saying, Jesus, I'm making you the priority for this hour and a half or whatever it is. I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to engage in worship. I'm going to be in relationship with other believers. Why? Because that's the wisdom of the scriptures for us. For what purpose? So that we can live a successful Christian life. But what happens, I believe, many times is that we try to live very uh, strong spiritual lives from a natural basis. It will never work that way. You'll never be more more spiritual or spiritually strong trying to just be better in the natural. Well, if I don't do this, if I don't go there, if I can just get rid of this attitude. And we're trying to do it from just willpower. Willpower is not enough. Because we all freak out. We all have moments of spasm. You ever had a muscle spasm? It's like, what is going on? You got like this muscle, muscle like twitching or something. Like, what is going on? Well, we have those emotionally too. We just get overwhelmed and we just... Ah! Am I the only one? Do I have any friends, anybody in the house with me today? It's just like, man, where'd that come from? 
And the thing that I have found is I freak out when I'm not with Jesus. I can be very anal. I can be very OCD. I can be very, this is the way it ought to be. And if I'm not connected with Jesus, my freak out meter is high. When I get with Jesus, it drops it down and I'm a little more level. But I have to create some space and I have to be intentional about my connection with him. So picking back up here in John chapter 4, verse 11. So Jesus tells this woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for something to drink. And so she's, again, she's thinking from the natural perspective. She says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well's very deep. Where would you get this living water? Besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? They've been pulling water out of this well for thousands of years. It's provided for their entire community. It's provided for their entire area. And and so she goes on. She asks another question. She says, how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Again, she's just looking at it naturally. From a a surface level, if you will. But Jesus is talking much deeper. And he responds to try to give her some clarity about her questions. He says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. He says, but those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Salvation is not a one-time event. It's a reoccurring event that happens time after time after time again. And if we think that our salvation was just one time at an altar when we prayed, the devil has lied to you. And you are missing out on what Jesus has to give you, which is what, as he talks about here, he says that it would be like a spring that would well up from the inside of them, producing eternal life, the power of God unto salvation is that God wants to work in us continually. It's not a one-time event, it's a repeat event. Why? Because we need his presence. It's not optional. We're actually designed to run on the presence of God. But we wonder why we're so tired and so worn out and so frazzled sometimes. It's because you've been redlining for too long. You've been going too hard, too long in your own strength. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've got something better for you. And so again, this lady is still in her natural mindset and she responds. And she says, oh, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come back to this dumb well again. I'm tired of coming out here with this bucket and tired of care. I mean, can you imagine? I don't know how far she had to go. To go get water. If you've ever been to a a foreign country, you've seen people that would go with, you know, vases or buckets and they would get water and then they walk to take water back home. And that's what this lady's talking about. She's thinking, man, if you're going to give me some water that I never have to come back to this well, sign me up. Can I do it twice to get a double portion, please? I'm sick of coming out here to this well because she's thinking naturally. And so my, one of my questions for you today is this, is are you living from a natural perspective without giving much thought or attention to grasping the spirit realm that you're actually a part of? See, it's not optional. We are all spiritual people. Every person is a spiritual person. Why? Because they have a spirit. So we're not just a a human being having a spiritual experience. It's actually we are spiritual people having a natural experience. 
It's very different. I know you're like, well, that's just a play on words. Not if you understand what I just said. It's really not the same. And many times we can look at our natural situations. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be health. It could be finances. It could be situational. Things are more spiritual than we think they are. Sometimes the opposition that we face is not just circumstantial. Sometimes there's actually a spiritual component to it. And we have to learn who we are in Christ, the authority that we've been given. Why? So that we can what? The Bible tells us, resist the attacks of the devil. Why would I need to resist something that's not there? Here's the other side of that. If I resist, he will leave. So things are more spiritual than we think. And we need to learn how to be aware and to pay attention to these things. Because what happens is when we're living a natural focused existence, we will look to natural things to solve our problems. And when we do that, it's just a cycle. It's just a cycle. It's just a cycle. We're just a hamster on a wheel running, but never actually finding an answer to our soul, ever. And so Jesus is about to shift the conversation here, starting in verse 16. He says, go and get your husband. The lady says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you know what, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five, as a matter of fact. You're not even married to the guy that you're living with now. And he says, you've certainly spoken the truth. And the lady says, ooh, you must be a prophet. Man of God, how did you know my history? Because all of a sudden, Jesus kind of calls her out. Let me say it this way. Jesus catches her attention. All of a sudden, she realizes like, I think he's talking about something that I'm not paying attention to. So this translation Bible says, so tell me, do tell what you got to say, man of God? See, and this is what happens, and this is what we do. Because Jesus is, is offering her, remember, he, he says, hey, I have a gift for you. He starts talking about living water. He ta- then all of a sudden he gets in her business. Like we don't want Jesus in our business because Jesus is kind of messy sometimes. I don't know if you know that. One of my favorite accounts in scripture. My, I have two of them. Of Jesus. And they're a little random. But it fits my personality. The first one is the moments lead. It's actually not Jesus flipping the tables in the church. Although I do appreciate that. It's actually the moments leading up to that because the Bible says that Jesus is in a corner braiding a whip. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Your junk's getting out of here too. I mean, Jesus is kind of messy sometimes. And then all of a sudden he goes and he starts flipping tables and chasing. I mean, like Indiana Jones hits him and... He's chasing folks out and things get a little crazy. And so sometimes we think, man, I don't know if I want that Jesus. Give me the Jesus with the kids and the sheep. But how many of you know that Jesus is not coming back with a sheep on his shoulder? 
The Bible says he's coming with a shout and a sword and a flame of fire in his eyes. That's my kind of Jesus. Like with a big old tattoo on his thigh. (laughs) It's in your Bible. You're like, I don't believe that. Go read Revelation. It says that he's coming back as a commanding general of an army. He came once meek and mild. He will come back with authority and power. That's my kind of Jesus. I like the rough Jesus. I like to think of my Jesus as the carpenter, like with some manly hands. Like just grab your hand, like Jesus didn't do the wet fish handshake, you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Jesus was a, put it there, you know what I mean? Like, he was a man. And yet here, and and so what happens though in this moment is that this woman, because remember Jesus flipped the script on her, talking about natural water, and then he starts talking about living water, and then all of a sudden Jesus gets up in her business, and then she wants to flip the script and talk about something else. But we do the same thing. Let me show you. We do the same thing though. See, what happens is, is like when conviction hits us, which by the way, conviction is a very good thing. Condemnation is not. Condemnation does not come from the Lord. But conviction, you're like, well, what is conviction? It's the understanding that something ain't right. Like, I don't know what it is, but I've messed up somewhere. Well, that's a good thing. And we shouldn't run from conviction. But have you ever had a moment where maybe you got convicted about something? Maybe your heart, the motive of your heart gets exposed in a moment. It's like, well, who just showed me that? Who told me my attitude stinks? Who told me that my motive was off or that that I was really doing something for an, an alternative reason? Well, that's the Holy Spirit trying to help us and lead us and guide us. Maybe even it's a moment where you, 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 you realize the dryness in your heart and, and the spiritual vitality is just not there. But what happens is, is when those things happen, sometimes we want to change the subject on Jesus. Like, I don't want to talk about that. Like, Jesus, don't talk to me about my attitude with my coworker. If he wasn't such a moron, I wouldn't feel this way. You laugh because you've thought it. A little conviction just hits you right there. You're welcome. I went nice. I just said a moron. That was, that was, that was a soft one. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Who's thought worse? <laughs> but all of a sudden, that conviction comes or there's a situation and, and we have to make a decision. And it's like we know the right thing to do, but we didn't do it. And yet we feel that kind of that little thing in our heart that's like, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. That's a good thing. But many times what happens is that we don't want to have that conversation. We just want to kind of move along, hurry past it. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Hey, I want to talk about that. Not right now, Jesus. We'll talk later. We'll talk later. We'll circle back in a little while. I'm busy right now. That's what this woman does. Because Jesus talks to her about an issue in her life. And she begins, well, let me say this before I start reading again. Is I believe that it is that. That we ought to be thankful when we have the sense of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is that we need to be worried when we don't or haven't felt that conviction in a while. Because you're in the danger zone. 
The Bible calls it our heart being hardened. And as Christians, as Christ followers, we can allow our hearts to become hardened by circumstance, by situation, by various things. And so we want to be in a place where, man, when the Holy, I want to, I want to be convicted regularly. Why? Because that tells me that my heart is soft. The level of my conviction tells me my level of openness to the Lord. And if it's been a while, it's time to come back to the Lord. It's time to come back and be close to the Lord. So we pick up the story here in uh, verse 21 of John 4. It says, uh, so the woman is speaking. She's trying to flip the script on Jesus. She says, so tell me, man of God. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Jesus responded and says, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Says you Samaritans know so little about the one that you worship while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. And Jesus makes a a very important statement. He says, but the time is coming and indeed it is here now. Jesus is telling her everything changes in this moment. Like whether you realize it or not, everything is shifting in this moment for what's happening. He says, so everything is shifting and changing that when, when says when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. In other words, it's not about a location. It's not about in Jerusalem. It's not about over here on this mountain. It's not about in this place. It's about people who will worship God with their, out of their spirit, man, and out of a pure heart. That's really what he means by truth here. In other words, with no ulterior motive. And it goes on, he says, For the Father is a spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman responds and says, I know that the Messiah is coming. The one who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah. In other words, you can stop looking. And so many times we can get caught in this same trap where we want to kind of divert the conversation away from what the Lord is speaking to us, maybe wanting us to to, um, allow him to help us work through. Why? Because we're waiting for a future day or a future event, one day, whenever, however, and Jesus is saying, no, right now, like today. Now is this time, now is this moment, why? Because I am he, I'm the one you're looking for. So Jesus is telling her, hey, you can stop looking. You can stop searching. Everything that you've been waiting on is right here, right now. Now, in this moment, and we're going to skip a couple verses here. A few things happen. Number one, this lady runs back to town because she says she leaves her pots and everything. Like she forgot why she even came to the well, which was a big deal because you can't get water without it. And so she just leaves it though. Why? Because she found something better. She actually found the living water that Jesus was referring to. And in her excitement, I don't think that she, what I really think what happened, this is just me filling in the, between the lines a little bit. I believe that she actually experienced the presence of Jesus to the point that she was filled with such joy that she thought, I've got to go tell everybody I know about this. The Messiah's at the well. And man, what he did in me, I've got to get to town in the Bible. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because 
Everybody started coming out of the out of the village to where Jesus was. The disciples show back up and they're like, hey, what's going on and all this stuff. And so it says here that the woman leaves it um, and, and she goes to town and this is what she's saying. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming out of the village to see him. And so this time the disciples come back. They got lunch for Jesus. Got him a little brown bag special from the corner mart. Like, Jesus, we got you some lunch, buddy. We know you're hungry. They're like, you got to eat something. And Jesus responds and he says, I have a kind of food that you guys know nothing about. Why? Because even his disciples were still in a natural mindset. They were still living on a different plane than Jesus was. You're like, why was Jesus so different? Because he thought different. He lived in a different reality. Now that reality is available to all of us. But will we live in that place? And so Jesus, well, Jesus tells me, he says, I have food that you know nothing about. And then the disciples asked, they're like, hey, did somebody else bring him food? They were always competing, always jockeying for position. And they want to know who, who beat me here first. And Jesus explains to them, he's like, guys, y'all aren't listening. I'm not talking about a hot dog. I'm talking about something that really satisfies my soul at a very deep level. You know that Jesus even needed fulfillment, just like we do. And here he, he makes a statement, he says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of my father who sent me and from finishing his work. The word nourishment there, when you go and study in the original language, it means that which truly satisfies the mind, the will, and the soul. Jesus says that, look, when I get into what God has for me and into my God purpose, I will find a fulfillment that I have never found. First and foremost, that, that comes through my relationship with him because that's really the fuel that I need to do for him. The problem is that many times we want to talk about doing for God before we talk about being with God. And being in the presence of Jesus. No, we have to be in the presence of Jesus before we can go and tell everybody about Jesus. The woman from the well went and told the village about Jesus because she had been with him. And there was something about that encounter. There was something that happened on the inside of her that caused a commotion in the village. And everybody else was like, man, what's going on? What happened? She actually got fulfilled. And they knew her and they knew that she was different. My definition of a Christian is probably a little different than many others. I don't define a Christian as somebody who goes to church. I don't define a Christian as somebody who reads their Bible. I define a Christian as somebody who has been changed in the presence of Jesus. That's the qualifier. Why? Because I can give lip service. I can be a fan Oh, Jesus is a good guy, man. I, I like his teachings. It fits this part of my life. It lets me do this. It lets me do that. Like, man, it really, but I'm a fan. Yeah, but Jesus didn't call us to be fans. He said, deny yourself and come follow me. Follow me, come to me. Like, I'm going to show you, or I'm going to share with you a scripture here in just a moment. But see, but this is so important. Is I believe that we do have a purpose. I believe every one of us, I, I talk about it pretty often, I think. Um, but I believe that every one of us has a redemptive purpose. In other words, God saved you for a reason. 
And it's more than just going to heaven. That's part of it. But you have an assignment. Like when God made you, he gave you an assignment. He had a purpose and then he made you. Not the other way around. You weren't born and God's like, let me get back to you in three or four years while I figure it out. God knew you before he formed you and he gave you an assignment and he gave you a job assignment. There's a purpose for your existence. First and foremost is to know him. It's our first assignment is to know God. Why? So that we can tell other people about him. Not from a, just a theoretical religious standpoint. But let me tell you about the Jesus that I have encountered. The Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that set me free. The Jesus that has delivered me. The Jesus who has healed me. The Jesus who has provided for me. It's Why? Because it's personal. And it being personal makes all the difference. I mean, as somebody who communicates regularly to people, I can tell you the difference of how you connect when I tell you somebody else's story versus when I tell you something that happened to me. You connect to it completely differently. Why? Because it's personal. It's different. See, I believe that there's actually a place in our soul that will never truly be fulfilled until we're accomplishing that God-given design. You're like, well, what's my design? We can help you with that. I mean, there are things that you are naturally just good at. You're hardwired. Let me say it another way. You're amazing at certain things. And you're so, it's so automatic for you, you're not even aware of it. That part of you is actually meant to reflect the goodness and the glory of God. Do you realize that? That is your calling, is to reflect the goodness and the the nature of God. And there are are things, certain things that you are just hardwired for. Like, it's not even a thing. You don't even know it's a thing. And other people are like, I have no idea how you do that. Like, you just did that so easy. I'll give you a real basic thing. I've had people call it boy math, but I can do math in my head. Like, not just two plus two. I know that's impressive, but I graduated first grade. But numbers, I just can... I can see numbers on a page, and I can just begin to... It makes sense to me in my mind. And Darius like, how do you do that? And I'm like, how do you not do that? it's automatic like I don't even think about it I'm just wired for math now you put me in a science class and I'm like "Mm, I'm confused that's a very basic thing but but it helps me in all kinds of areas of my life and there are things in there. Some of you, let me give you another example. Some of you are just very hospitable. I lack that gift. Some of you have talked to me and you know what I'm talking about. I'm just not warm and fuzzy and friendly. I want to be, but I have to work really hard at it. Some of you never meet a stranger. You make people feel just amazing. They're like, man, I'm pretty awesome. Talk to, you know, Leonard and Elgin and you walk away and you're like, man, I just... 
looking good today. <laughs> Why? They just have a gift. It just oozes out of them. And you're like, man, I just, I feel better about me. How I many of you know somebody like that? You got somebody in mind right now. You're like, man, I just, I like to call that person. I like to be around that person. Because you're like, I'm pretty stinking awesome. That's a gift. Some of you actually have that gift. Some of you care for people like deeply. And you see needs and you're like, I want to I I take care of that. It's a gift. Other people are like, what need? What person? What happened? And you're like, what rock have you been under? It's a gift. And it comes so naturally to you. I'll give you another one. I'm just, I'm on a roll. There's certain ladies that what I would call just have like a mom anointing. You're like, well, what does that mean? I mean, like, and I would consider my mom to be this way. But I've experienced many other ladies. It's like when they hug you, it's just different. You're like, I swear it's the Holy Spirit touching me right now. I don't know what it is. But there's this love and this warmth and there's this mothering nature. And it's just like, you're the mother of all mothers. That's a gift. And do you know that your gifts are meant to reflect the goodness and the glory of God? Some people love kids and you're like, oh, I ain't got that gift. <laughs> Somebody does though. I mean, me and Dara were in youth ministry for 10 years. And I would have people come up to me and they're like, oh my God, I don't know how you deal with teenagers. You want me to be real honest? I might hurt your feelings if I tell you this. How many of you want me to be honest? Okay, good, good. Don't be mad at me because you asked for it. Sometimes I loved youth ministry because teens were more honest. They were upset about something, they just tell me. They didn't try to fake it. They just own it. I don't know what I believe about God right now. I'm just in a, just in a moment. Like, okay. I love the honesty of teenagers, but people would ask me, like, oh, I don't know how you do teenagers. And even people that did kids ministry like, oh, my gosh, like, they just get old enough. I just got to get them to you. And I'm like, and you can keep the smaller ones. Send me the teenagers. Like, I, we loved it. I loved everything about it. There was a grace on my life to do it. There's a grace on your life, too. I'm not the only one with the grace of God on me because I'm the pastor of the church. There's a grace on you to do. But you can't get so focused on the doing that you forget about the connecting first. Because without the presence, the grace will only frustrate you. And there has to be that, that comeback to the well that never runs dry. There has to be that come back to Jesus moment where he said, where it's like, man, I want to do and I want to expand. I want to influence people and I want to impact people for the kingdom of God. You got to come back to the, to the source. You got to come back to connect with Jesus. See, you, you have a redemptive calling. You have a kingdom purpose and no amount of natural success, security, stability, worldly satisfaction will ever actually produce a real soul satisfaction in you. It just won't happen. Only Jesus can fill that place. But we've got to focus. We've got to say, Jesus, I'm going to, I'm going to give my attention to you. So in a few moments, we're going to worship again. You're like, wait, I thought we already did that. 
See, you think worship is an event versus a lifestyle. Don't be natural. Be a spiritual person and realize that your life is called to be an act of worship unto God. Why? Because in my worship is where I can connect to the Lord and there's power in that. And so we'll we'll worship together today before we dismiss. The worship team can go ahead and start headed up if you want. But I want to read one more scripture to you. This does come out of a different place, but I'm going to read a portion of this passage. In Matthew chapter 11, many times we see, actually the majority of the time, I could only find two or I think two or three times, where, where Jesus would say, he would generally would tell people, follow me. Like, lay down your nets and come follow me. You know, quit doing this, come and follow me. And we see that over and over and over. But there's a couple of times in scripture where Jesus didn't say, follow me. He actually says, come to me. And that is a little different. Verbiage wise, but I also think there's meaning in it. And in verse, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it won't be on the screen, so you just have to listen. But he says, come to me and I will refresh your life for I am your oasis. Says simply join your life with mine and learn my ways and you'll discover that I'm gentle and that I'm humble. And listen to this, listen, listen, listen. This is Jesus speaking. He says, come to me, I'll refresh your life and you will discover that I am easy to please. How many of you ever thought of Jesus like that? Like he's easy to please. I've been on the other side of the spectrum like, Jesus, cut me some slack. Give me a break. Like, man, the standard's up here and I'm somewhere down here. And yet, in the Passion Translation is the version that says, it says that when you come to me, you'll, in other words, when you really experience in Jesus, not what you've heard about him. When you actually get into his presence, you'll realize that he's easy to please. He says, you'll find refreshment and you'll find rest in me. I love this last part, the way they wrote it. It says, for all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. You ever read the scripture and thought, I can't do that? That's just beyond my ability. It's because you're trying to do it from a natural perspective. You're just trying to be nicer, trying to be sweeter trying to play a role of what you think a Christian is supposed to be as opposed to coming to Jesus, allowing him to transform you from the inside first, then it can go to the outside. But he says, man, that you'll find real refreshment. But when you come and you get into the presence of Jesus, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago, I think it was in week two, in Acts chapter four, where it was Peter and John, and it says that they realized that they were ignorant, they were just dumb fishermen. But they realized that they were men who had been with Jesus. They said, man, there's something different about these guys. They don't know all the language. They don't know all the Christianese. They don't know the church language. They don't know when to say man and oh me. and They don't know when to do all those things. But they had been with Jesus and, and a miracle happened. The scriptures actually, they were just ordinary guys. But yet God did something supernatural through them. See, I believe that serving Jesus can either be one of two ways. It'll either be delight or it'll be duty. And if it's duty, you're missing the whole point. And we've got to learn how to connect with the presence of Jesus, invite him in to our life. And so I want to lead you into just a short prayer.